Hello and welcome. Legally Brief presents the Child Athlete Abuse Podcast. I'm your host, Judy Saunders. I'm a lawyer, mother, and survivor. I work with competitive youth athletes, survivors of abuse, and their families who are dealing with abusive authority figures. This podcast is for anyone who is fed up, dealing with fear, and searching for answers. I really hope that you enjoy the contents of each episode, but remember, it is never a substitute for speaking directly with an attorney who knows and understands your unique circumstances. If you're looking for past episodes, head on over to my website, jsaunderslawfirm.com. And while you're there, be sure to sign up for the newsletter. And one more thing, don't forget to rate and review the show and leave a comment. I'm so glad you're here. Let's get into the show. Being part of a group, belonging, being in a community, that is the main purpose or one of the main reasons why we enroll our children in sports, why they participate in sports, travel teams, rec leagues. We want them to make friends. Any parent knows that is moving to a new neighborhood, transitioning to a new home, or enrolling their kids in a different school system. One of the first things that they look at, even before the kids are enrolled, is what sports teams, what activity can I have my child do just before school starts, maybe during the summer or joining the travel team, so that they can form a bond and that so they won't feel so isolated and as if they don't belong once the school year starts. Sports are a bridge. They help you belong and they help you feel as if you are part of the group. When I was in grades, I'd put it about maybe grades two through five, I had a bully. Let's give her the initials of NW. NW was a tenacious, talented and accomplished bully. She did everything to control the group of girls that I was a part of in those grades and in those years. She maintained full and complete power. Perfect little dictator. She created private groups and clubs during lunch. So one minute you thought you were at a table just having your, you know, hot dog and bologna sandwich. And the next minute you realize that you could either be now a part of a secret lunch group at the table, or if you were like me and maybe some of my other friends, you were all of a sudden realized that your table had formed a club of which you were not a part of. She was also brilliant in excluding you during maybe a walk home. So kids leaving school, you would be walking, you would think that everyone was just having a good time, and then you would look ahead and see that there were maybe three or four girls you know, walking arm in arm or holding hands with NW and you realize that you were not a part of the group. I did everything to try to ensure that I was not on the outside. It was the worst feeling in the world is anyone can relate to, but especially in those when you're young and in those ages. NW was also very good at making sure that if there was someone that was going to have a birthday party during that time, maybe she would have an influence. Oh, you're having something like, oh, your your birthday's coming up, making sure that you were either whomever she didn't like was either excluded from the party, even asking, who are you inviting? Well, don't invite that person. I don't like them or they're not cool or something to the effect. Maybe you had gotten braces that wasn't 
something that NW wanted to be a part of, your new look. Being ostracized, criticized, and being made fun of was what NW excelled at. And it was what struck terror in the hearts of myself and I'm sure my other peers at that time. She was a great bully. One of the things that NW was known for, she was very intelligent book-wise or academically, very talented artistically. So she was a very accomplished pianist, even in those. So we were, I'd have to say maybe 10, 11. She was playing the piano and organ for full-on church services. When I was that age, I was part of a community of religious order, sect, group, Seventh-day Adventist. And I was part of that community. There was a huge, there was a big campus and I should say a big campus church. And so NW would play. She was so accomplished that she would play for the full church services and play at other concerts and at other venues. But she was a very brilliant and very accomplished pianist at that time. So she was respected and adults looked up to her and included her, I should say, included her in their discussions. So you as a child knew or believed there was the illusion that she had some type of a pull, so to speak, that she was accepted by individuals who were older than you. And that was even worse because you felt that you needed to do more to fit in and to not fall on the outside of NW's group. It didn't help at that time when I was younger and had this bully that I was extremely overweight. So picture a young, maybe what I'll do is that I'll link to a picture of myself at that time. Just young, overweight, not necessarily in any sports. I was rocking a uh, hairstyle, my Afro puffs, two plaits at the side, two braids at the side, but then mom would pick them out. I had the middle part and zero. I had zero designer wear, designer clothes. So nothing could elevate my status. My parents are immigrants from the Caribbean and they never understood, even considered buying us name brand clothes, whether it was Nike or Adidas at the time. Run DMC was making Adidas, you know, launching that brand into another stratosphere, wearing the big fat shoelaces. No, my parents didn't even consider it. And of course, I felt that that type of clothing would help ease my transition or increase my status among my peers. Not with me, didn't happen, not in my family. So great was my fear of being a part of the group that I would think of, spend so much time both in school and out of school thinking of ways to fall in the good graces of NW and not be on the outside. I created at that time, now I know looking back, NW and other parts of my life were very paramount and set the pattern in wanting to belong, just having that need in general. So not only was it what I was experiencing as being the target of a bully, but it's also that very basic human psychological social need to be a part of a group, a tribe, or community. And it's that need, it's that was that strong desire. It was that feeling of being stung by a bully that led to several poor decisions that I know now, looking back, being more mindful that harmed me, but really did please the tyrants 
that were in my life present at that time and then over the years. Making decisions to stay a part of a community, be it a club, secret club in the NW's, you know, example. And just, I digress for a second, because I remember another brilliant tactic of NW. When we were in school, it was very popular to play double Dutch. If you're not familiar with double Dutch, it is the a game where it's usually three individuals. You have two children on one side and adults do it even now today. It's an amazing form of exercise, but you have two individuals who take, you're using two ropes and you're kind of, you're moving the ropes in, in synchronization with each other. And it's almost like jump roping, but you're jump roping and you're using two ropes. And it's just, look it up on YouTube. It was immense fun. I think to myself, I was pretty good at it. Even to this day, one of my greatest, most loved forms of exercise is jump rope. And so we would have double dutch and every day when the bell rang for recess, we would just run out onto the playground and girls, we would grab our double dutch, we would grab the rope and you'd start to manipulate the rope. And it was, someone would say, okay, I'm number one, I'm number two, I'm number three. Now, and W had this brilliant way where she would say, oh no, I'm number zero. Or if someone had, now we had caught on to that and you would say, I'm zero. She would go, you know, I'm blanco. I'm nothing. Whatever she could do to go first and then, you know, bring along her latest, you know, cabinet or her latest club. And then she would say, you know, I'm blanco and she's zero and she's uno. And then now, you know, starting now with the regular one, two, three. So whereas you you thought you were going to be number one and jump first, somehow you would end up to be number 10. So she was just brilliant at that. And it really, it kind of always left my stomach in clinch, in that clinching feeling, that that tightness, that stress, that anxiety, that fear. And you were trained, could I dare say that NW and other situations, not only NW, but other situations, grooms you to want to do anything. So you're just, you want to be a part of the group, you'll do anything, you'll please, you'll do, you know, mental, you know, tricks with yourself and reasoning and rationalizing with yourself so that you can be accepted, so that you can be a part, like I said before, that community, whether it's a club or a sporting group, a parent group, you'll do anything. In the words of Malcolm Gladwell, exclusion is not justice. It's cruelty. When we exclude individuals, whether it be on the, we know that our prison systems are notorious for solitary confinement. It's exclusion. And you say, well, the prisoner is going there because they've done something wrong. And as a result of that, they have to pay the price. It's part of justice. And really what that's done, it's cruelty. There are well-documented cases of both children and adults being sent absolutely mentally harmed, being sent mad, having been in solitary confinement. That's an extreme example. But exclusion on the playground in your community, if you are part of a religious group, if you are part of a conservative religious group, or even you know any of our church settings, we know that there's instances where if you go against the religious bylaws, the religious code or policies, you can be excluded. When I was growing up in my church, And in most churches, if you had a young woman that became pregnant and she wasn't married, she would be removed from the church, even publicly embarrassed and humiliated. It was that exclusion. That exclusion and that fear is a way to keep you in line. It's a way 
to make you and keep you being obedient. That's why on a lesser degree, I just talked about how exclusion works in the prison systems and solitary confinement. But to a lesser degree, isn't that why we send our children to our rooms? We give them time out, make them face the wall. Many, it was a common practice for teachers, for educators to make a child wear a dunce hat. If you don't know what that is, it can be any form of some type of hat. It can be a, a paper made hat even that you would put on an individual to single them out, put it on their head and make them either leave the group or sit in a corner with that on. Humiliation, it's a form of exclusion. That's why we do that. We make them leave the group. What about in situations I know that in my my practice, I've had situations where I've learned of abusive authority figures, abusive coaches who have made children leave events. If they're working on an event, maybe a skill in gymnastics and you bring attention to them, maybe you're displeased with what they've done. So you publicly humiliate them and make them leave the group. Go sit away. Go sit in this chair, in the baby chair, the cry chair. There's different names for it, but the point is all the same. It's the threat and it's the acting upon exclusion and making an individual feel that they're not a part of the group. Now you, the individual that is receiving that treatment, you are the target. Once you have felt that, I don't care if you're three years old, five years old, or 25 years old, once you've experienced that the sting of that the that feeling it's a total body feeling and psychologists human individuals that study human nature they provide a clear foundation statistics and facts that we as a group as an animal the one thing we fear is not being a part of the group what do we do then as individuals if we've felt and we've been stung by that removal no longer a part of the group. You no longer belong. It's at that point that we then do everything. We change our behaviors. We start on a pattern where we're no longer making decisions that are best for us. What we're making decisions on is the basis of avoiding that feeling, avoiding not belonging. Not too long ago, I was going through the highs and lows of a personal experience and had very little clarity on what was best for me. And it was just, I couldn't understand with a lot of the work that I do, a lot of the individuals that I counsel, the cases that I evaluate, one would think that if something is bothering me, if I need to figure out the answer, figure out the next steps, I just wasn't coming to it. I, it wasn't being apparent to me. Now, when I have a case, when I have an individual that seeks my counsel, I can see the issue, I can spot out the next steps and move forward. Give them counsel, give us an action plan, whether it's filing a case in civil court, whether it's working with an individual through counseling or coaching sessions, or whether it's working with that individual as they go through the criminal court process, dealing with criminal justice and prosecutors. But in my situation, I could not understand why I was drawing a complete blank. It was dark. It was murky in my mind as to what to do. I met a friend for lunch 
And we were talking about the situation. And even when the friend started to ask me some of the really deeper questions, I felt myself tighten up and avoiding wanting to really talk about it, change the subject, thinking to myself, well, that's none of that individual's business. You know, I'm, I don't want to, I don't want to deal with this. We got up, we paid the bill, had a great time and we were walking and my friend stops and she looks at me and she says, well, what do you want? I was taken back by the simplicity of the question. And it's often the simple two, five, six word questions that really go to the heart of us understanding why we do what we do and how we got here. Much of what I'm talking about right now is in response to not only understanding our need to belong and be a part of a community, but it's speaking directly to instances where I have counseled, written about, and thought about how it is that we get in situations that are not aligned with us, that harm us, that cause us pain. Why it is that individuals, authority figures, are able to get away for so long with the harm that they cause to families and to children. And it's because of this reason. Abusive authority figures capitalize on the need to belong. And with that knowledge, with that understanding, they then set out on a path to isolate and to isolate an individual from the group to give them the sense that if they do not conform or follow their rules, they will no longer be a part of the community. That's what made NW such a brilliant little tyrannical, dictating bully. She knew early in those years, 8, 9, 10, 11, when we were in early elementary school, that if she created groups that excluded, and if she let it be known that she held the power to exclude, then we would fall in line. Our minds would be constantly preoccupied, not with what is best for us, the individual, or in my case, what was best for me, it would always be preoccupied in how to capitulate and please. It's the same bully tactics that are used when I was a child that is constantly used today. It's used by abusive authority figures. And it's why we end up not making the proper decisions for ourselves. Why it is that abusive authority figures for so long are permitted to get away and to do things that harm. When my friend asked me, well, what do you want? I reflectively, and I dodged the question is what I should really say. I absolutely dodged the question. I said, well, we were having lunch in Brooklyn and I love Brooklyn. I'm one of those individuals that say, well, I wasn't born here. I wasn't born in New York, but I got here as soon as I could. So I, I love Brooklyn. I said, well, what I really want is to own real estate in Brooklyn on a condo. But I knew that wasn't the answer. So I got in the car and on the drive home, I said, Judy, why can't you just say what you want in this instance? How come you have no clarity? A couple days later, it appeared to me as I was preparing my notes to record this episode, and it was, what do I want? I want for them not to be mad at me. And that's what I wanted. I had made decision in the experience that I was going through. I was making a decision not on what was best for me. I was making a decision because I wanted to belong. At that moment, what was going on 
I had felt that same pattern of being isolated, the same pattern of being on the outside. I was making decisions that weren't popular. I was doing something that was displeasing to a group of individuals that I very much felt that I needed to belong. So it was that underlying behavior and trait that I was repeating from early childhood and throughout my life and at different points of my life, you know, and that was what it was. That was the answer to my friend's question. What do I want? I want to belong. And with that need to belong and to not have individuals mad at me, to be a part of that group and that community, I was making a decision that wasn't necessarily right for me at that time. I've seen this happen and I can apply it to situations and speaking to you directly, listener. If in your life, it's you or your child that is going through a difficult spot and you see that there's harm being done, and maybe the harm is such that it's happening in small microaggressions, small offensive tactics. You know, it's not all happening at one instant. You know, someone isn't just dropping down out of nowhere and beating your child up and your child's not coming bloody to the car. We all know that those are game over. You're going to remove your child and leave, but it could be tiny tiny aggressions, tiny disrespects, small humiliations, small acts to degrade you or your child. And you know that you should act. You know that what's going on is out of alignment with your inner truth, with your inner voice, but you justify it. And we justify it because we want to belong. We don't want to take those big, bold acts that will make us fall on the outside. We don't want our children. We don't want ourselves to be isolated from the parent groups, from the sidelines of the soccer game. We don't want to be seen that we're speaking out, that we're causing trouble going against the boat. We want to be a part of our communities. But what I'm telling you and also telling myself while I'm talking to you is that there are no first what is it that you want? If it's that you want to belong, you want to be a part of that community, you don't want to be isolated, then ask this follow-up question. Am I making decisions to stay a part of this community that will only hurt myself or hurt my child in the long run? And if that's the case, then it's time to leave. It's time to start making those small steps to move away and to extract yourself from that community. And what does that look like? Because a lot of times when I counsel individuals, I am well aware that taking any dramatic steps, let's just use the situation of it is an abusive coach, and it's a gym setting, you've been a part of that community. Maybe your child has been working out with that same team for five, six, seven years. You travel together, you attend holiday parties together. You maybe even vacation together. These individuals may seem to be family members to you, especially I have never lived for very long as in my adult years in communities where I've had family, you know, my sister or my brother, we've always lived in different parts of the country. So many times the sport community that your children are a part of, those individuals can feel like sisters, like brothers, you know, aunts or uncles to your children. And realizing that there are things that are happening that are hurting you or your children may seem like a breakup of your family. So when you are thinking about that, I know and I understand that any bold steps to leave can hurt. So it's small steps that you're going to take to leave 
to extract. It may be looking into other teams and other coaching opportunities outside of the community. And that may be having to do that in a very secret sense. Those are the type of things that I help families with. Because at the end of the day, what happened to me with NW, what happened to me in this situation where I was had to face my friend's question and answer honestly, what is it that I wanted? What I knew is that I was repeating behaviors because I so wanted to belong, but those behaviors were resulting and they were leading to poor decisions, decisions that were taking me further and further away from happiness and further and further away from what aligned with my life and what I needed at that time. So friend, the two things that I want you to do today, I want you to observe. I want you to think about situations where you may be making poor decisions for yourself and for your family or your children in the area of sport because you don't want to be isolated on the outside of a community. It's that strong need to belong, that we have that pull, but look at that and ask yourself, what is it that you want? What do your children want? And what do you need? And that will lead you to truth and put you back in alignment with yourself. I'm happy to say that I am, of course, no longer under the rule of NW. I am able to wish her well, wish her the best for all the bullies in our lives out there, both when we were young or that we're going through that experience, maybe with your children. We wish them well, but we know that we're not going to make decisions that are poor and that harm us. It's always a pleasure spending this time with you. I love it because so much of what I talk about, so much of what I write, not only helps me understand better my practice and how to help clients, I hope that it also helps you. And it also reveals, as in this case, when I was writing this, it helped me reveal not only the you know long-term feelings of being upset and being the target of a bully, but it also helped me you know, trace the behaviors that I was doing that were leading to poor decisions even recently. So I wish the same for you. I wish you awareness. I wish you good decisions. And I wish that you are in align with yourself and also that our children are in line with themselves and with their inner voice. Thank you so much for listening. Oh, one thing that I want to mention on this episode, it should, and I plan to air this before July 27th, but on July 27th, everyone, I am going to do a live event. My office is hosting, Does Your Child Understand Sexual Consent? High school, college age kids are the audience. Bring your high schooler, bring your soon to be leaving off for college student. I will bring everything that I've learned as a criminal prosecutor, prosecuting sexual offenses, everything that I've learned as an attorney representing individuals who have suffered sex abuse, what I know under the law about sex abuse and what I've learned and what I've studied. And I will talk about the laws as they pertain to sex abuse. What is consent, partial consent, withdrawal of consent, what to do if your son, your daughter is accused of a sexual offense, what to do if your son or daughter is the victim and survivor of sex abuse. Come over on July 27th. It will be a live Zoom call and I will actually leave the link to register in the show notes of this episode. Again, a pleasure spending time with you. Take care.
all information and content in this podcast is provided for entertainment purposes only. Nothing in this podcast shall constitute legal advice and shall not create an attorney-client relationship. This information is general and may not be applicable to your particular circumstances. You should review your particular circumstances with an attorney. All liability with respect to actions taken or not taken based on the contents of this podcast is hereby expressly disclaimed.